Well, welcome to Faith Church. We are thrilled that you are here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, uh, my name's Matthew, and I uh, would love to just shake your hand and get to know you uh, right after the service. My wife, Amber, and I will be uh, in the foyer. We'd love to just shake your hand and hug your neck and uh, hear a little bit about who you are and uh, just say hi to you this morning. Uh, we'd love, love to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It was uh, within the last year that uh, one of my kids came to me and uh, we were, I think, in the car and they asked me the question that every parent dreads to hear. Hey, dad, where do babies come from? And like every loving father and good parent, I just composed myself, made sure I uh, remembered how old they were, looked at them lovingly, and I said, great question. Man, I'm so, that's a great question. You should ask your mom. <laughs> that's not necessarily the truth. I actually uh, took a play uh, from the, just kind of stole one from Jesus, and when leaders don't really know what the best way to answer a question is, you ask a question yourself. So I just says, what do you think? Where do you think babies come from? And that bought me at least another six months <laughs> when we talked and discovered where they were at. You know, it's a fun subject. It's a weird subject. It can be uh, a nervous junior high giggle that you might be tempted to like, I don't know. We made sure the air conditioning was on today because it might get a little bit hot today, but we want to talk a little bit about this idea of sex and specifically the problem of sex. And I know you're sitting there thinking, I don't have a problem whatsoever. Uh, and uh, just hold tight because we're going to walk this through in just a minute. See, because we find ourselves smack in the middle of a culture that is driving hard after this idea of sex and sexuality. They're redefining what sex is and what is okay and what is not. And we are reimagining sex on our own terms. We live during a time where sex and sexuality is portrayed as just a casual encounter. It's a celebrated commodity that everybody needs to have and be obtained. And we also, or, or you could say, it becomes a, we refer to it as just a self-indulgent craving. And all of that is creating a problem. All of that is creating a problem. And the church has not helped themselves for a lot of the years because by and large, the church and the Christian community, although we know the author of every good and perfect gift, although we know the one who created this very gift, uh, we have remained silent as a church, treating it as something that just needs to be kept secret. And we have mishandled the understanding and we've just kind of shoved it away and pushed it aside. And the church has caused a lot of confusion and a lot of abuse and just remained silent on some things that I believe God had called us to help people explore and learn about. And instead, we have remained silent and that has caused even more problems. We've been in this series, The Problem of God, and we've just been tackling some things, some questions, some tough things that a lot of people have, questions, concerns, things like, is Jesus really 
to be trusted? Isn't he just some myth? What about all of the other gods? We tackled that in the first week. We talked a little bit about the problem of the Bible, how for a lot of people, they look at this book as just some book of ancient writings that really has no bearing on our life today. It's antiquated. It has old rituals. And especially in this area of sex and sexuality, it doesn't have anything positive to say to anybody. And so anybody who believes the Bible just kind of buries their head in the sand and ignores reality altogether. And that's a, that's a big problem. The Bible is a big problem for a lot of people. We talked about hypocrisy last week, how a lot of people look at Christians, quote unquote, and say they are a bunch of hypocrites. And they're not entirely wrong in that assessment. And that's a problem for a lot of people. They don't want to pursue God. They would like to believe in a God, but they just can't see past all of the hypocrisy and all of the stuff. And it's like, eh, I'm done. And, and we addressed that last week. Next week, we're going to talk about hell. Is it real? Who goes there? Why do people have to go there? Does it exist? Is it one day going to disappear? And isn't that just some, some made-up place that, that Christians have created to, to scare people into obedience? We're going to tackle and look at what the Bible says and what the truth is about hell and answer some real questions. And it's going to hit home for all of us because we all have people that we want to believe are in heaven. But if what we read in the Bible is true about hell, we are not 100% sure. What do we do with that? And that's a problem, and we're going to talk about it. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about the problem of evil and suffering. If there's a loving God, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil? If he's an all-powerful God and a good God, why doesn't he do something about those things? And we're going to wrestle and look at and examine evidence as it relates to evil and suffering. And I believe that it, we will look at what the, the Bible and what Christians for centuries have believed and the answers that we believe that the Bible gives us in light of those tough questions. And so uh, I'm glad you're here today and I hope you'll come back for the next two weeks as we wrap this series up. It will be definitely, definitely encouraging. But today, let's talk about sex. The problem of sex. There are really three mainstream views, three main views as it relates to sex and sexuality. The first one is this, is that sex is just appetite. That sex is appetite. It's just an appetite. We evolve. Evolution has told us that we just evolve. It's a biologic need that we all have as human beings. And as a result of that, we just need to satisfy that hunger. We eat three times a day. Why? Because as beings of biology, we need to eat. So therefore, just like that, we need to sleep. And also, we have these urges that we need to meet those needs. And therefore, sex is just an appetite or as the popular poets and philosophy of all things culture said in 1999, those famous bloodhound gang, they coined the phrase, you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. And for those of you that have that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day and a picture of them in their monkey suits, you're welcome. <laughs> Job here is done, right? We were nothing but mammals, so why not? What's the crave? Give into it. It's just an appetite. 
No one can tell you how to fulfill. I mean, after all, you know yourself if you like asparagus or you like mushrooms. Nobody can tell you what tastes you prefer. So since sex is just another appetite, you get to choose what flavor you prefer and what is the orientation to which satisfies your own individual appetite. And, and so it goes on and on because sex is it's just an appetite. Do whatever you have to do to meet that need, to get that satisfied, to think that way. And you might be sitting there thinking, this can't be right. I mean, what about love and romance? And, 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 and doesn't there have to be consent between two adults? And I mean, that's fine. I mean, that's what we need. That's part of what it is. But it can't just be an appetite. But, but the problem is if you take the evolutionary mindset And you take that approach to say evolution is what it is and we all evolve and we don't have a choice but to evolve into who we are today and we don't, it just happens because of science and biology, then you don't get a choice in the matter. There is no consent that is necessary. Why? Because you're just a product of the evolutionary process. And that's why Richard Dawkins, who recognized his own philosophy that led him to claim that his own monogamous marriage with his wife was, quote-unquote, an un-Darwinian personal decision. The problem is, if, it's, if you believe in the Darwinian evolution, you don't get to make un-Darwinian decisions. You're a byproduct of it. You can't help it but have this appetite that needs to be filled. And so there's this idea that says, this biological viewpoint that says sex is just an appetite. It's a need that you have and a longing and a hunger that, and a craving that you just need to get satisfied any way you need, which is why we have things like prostitution and sex trafficking and why many people feel like rape isn't an issue anymore. Why? Because it's just people getting filled with what they need. And porn is no big deal at all because it's just people getting their needs met any way they need to because it's an appetite and they need to eat. What would you do if you hadn't eaten for a week, six months, three years, and it's your anniversary again? By golly, we need to eat. I recently heard about a cafe that's been uh, made in Europe where at this cafe, men can go and order a croissant and sexual favor. And those favors are done uh, and serviced uh, by robots that aren't like meet the Jetsons Rosie robot, but life-like, flesh-like, beautiful-looking AI models. And people are saying it's gonna be great because it's gonna help satisfy an appetite, and it's not going to ruin marriages because it's not really a person. If we believe that sex is just an appetite, I know on one hand we say it's just an urge that we need to feel, but if you say that, you've got to follow that all the way through and see how that thought process actually leads you because it leads you down that road. And if we reduce sex to just an urge then we miss out on the reality that I believe it is something precious that rather we must preserve. I believe God of the Bible teaches those things. So the first viewpoint is that sex is just an appetite. The second is this idea that sex is God. This is the second viewpoint that many people in our world have is that sex is God. Sex is the ultimate good to get. It is the climax of human satisfaction. There is no greater thrill or enjoyment than 
sexual encounters and having sex and being a sexual person, that is the height of good. It is the goodest of all goods. It's the thing that everybody needs to drive to. And if you're not having a satisfied sex life, then you're not having a satisfied life at all. And this is why we paint people who are single as like some secondary viewpoint of society because, well, they obviously can't be getting their needs met because, I mean, I mean don't you know you've got to have this sex is the thing. It's good. It's God. It's, it's this wonderful thing. Just look at the magazine covers and music videos today and look at the Super Bowl halftime shows. We are promoting this idea and we're chasing after this idea of sex and sexuality. And it's tr- we're trying to just go after this thing and we're chasing after it. And it's, it's why so many people want to diet and get healthy and look good. And it's changed our perspective, perspective of what it means to be healthy and to be beautiful and to be wonderful. And we're trying to redefine all those things. Why? Because sex is just God. It's God. It's, it's got to be. It's something that we do. And, and we sing songs about it and to it as if it were a God. And I know that we sit back and we say, well, it's, it, it is a good thing and we've got to have it. And, and it, it can't be that it's just an appetite. I mean, that's just, that's just, wrong. That can't be the viewpoint, and it can't be a viewpoint that, that sex is God. See, see for, for, for many of us, though, we do treat sex as God. It is king. It controls our decisions. It controls who we like and who we don't like. It controls how we present ourselves on social media. It, it's, we've turned it into our own version of Burger King. We want to have it our way right away, as if it's just another commodity that we can use on our own. And the underlying viewpoint, the underlying idea behind both of this, this viewpoint of sex is appetite and sex is God is this idea that it's just sex. That's the justification that we make. It's just sex. It's just sex. It's just, it's my body. And we treat our bodies and our beings as just another commodity that we can barter and trade and use to be satisfied. But the problem with that is that it's not just sex. It's not just sex. It's not just intimacy. It's not just getting a need met. It's not just a commodity that we pursue after. There has to be a context for it. Because Every interaction that we have of a sexual nature, every indulgence that we have, there is something more to it. And this idea of it's just sex is why there are people who are friends with just benefits. There is no commitment. There is no context for a commitment. It's just all the benefits that we need. And the problem is, is not just that. Because there are casualties when we treat it like a commodity. Just ask the person who was on the other end of a cheating spouse if it was just sex for them. Ask, ask the spouse who sat there and had to hear news and hear the truth of what their spouse was up to. Ask the person who was doing the cheating if it was just sex. If it was just another commodity, if it was just something along the line. Ask, ask. Ask that spouse why their stomach stomach sank when their son asked them why they missed their soccer game and they knew it was because they were having a rendezvous with their their lover. 
Ask that person if it was just, it's no big deal. It's just that. It's just that. And it's not. It's what? It's not just porn. See, there are casualties to all of those things. It used to be that when it came to, to pornography that you had to like buy it at a store, put it in a paper bag and like run home and hide it somewhere. Now, just point, click, surf, clear your browser history and you're good. And nobody will ever find out. You can text whatever you want and you have messaging apps that'll make it all just disappear for you and no trace of it, supposedly. And it's not hurting anybody, it's not hurting anything, but the, but the problem is, is that it actually is affecting us. It's not just anything. It's causing a lot of damage to a lot of people. There's a study done, not a Christian study whatsoever, done by multiple universities where they were trying, they were recognizing that the effects of porn uh, viewing and uh, that, that, that industry, that adult film industry, that it was wreaking havoc on humanity and sexuality and marriages. And so they were setting out to prove this is not a Christian study whatsoever. These people do not follow Jesus. They don't believe in the Bible, but they're just following the data. And they went on a search to find and to study uh, the effects of it. And they were looking for men 20 in their 20s who had never been exposed to porn so that they could com you know, compare the problem was they couldn't find any. They couldn't find any, any men in their 20s, never been exposed to pornography. And we wonder why our relationships are frayed and fractured. We wonder why we need blue pills all the time because inside of our minds, we have created something of a God that cannot be met by any one human whatsoever. And we've lived in a world of fantasy for far too long and it has created much fragmented relationships. It's a problem. It's a problem and the church comes along and uh, the, the church comes along and says, uh, well, you know what, it's, it's not an appetite. And sex isn't God. And the church for a lot of years came along and said, so the best thing to understand is that sex is bad. It's bad. And so we tell our young people, uh, that's dirty, it's gross, you shouldn't think those thoughts, it's wrong, it's off limits, it's terrible, don't do it, don't go down that road, it's wrong, it's horrible, it's vile, so save it for the person that you love. <laughs> kind of a weird thing. We tell them, no, 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 no. Okay, now you're married, it's fine, go for it. And young people all over the place are just like, oh, I wasn't expecting and this and that. And like, oh. and we wrote books about how true love is supposed to wait. And we wrote books about kissing, dating, goodbye that 20 years later he wrote and says, now you really shouldn't have kissed it goodbye. You really actually kind of need, he kind of wrote a whole recanting to his first saying. And so we, we created all these rules and things. And, and we tell people that, 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 that those emotional feelings that they're feeling and those, that sex drive, it's bad, it's wrong, suppress it, suppress it, suppress it. Put it in the dark, put it in the dark. But the problem is that things that we shove into the dark just get more attractive to us. I think it was the Apostle John who says those things that are in the dark, you can't have fellowship with the Lord. 
And so when you have so many things in your life that remain in the dark and remain secretive, you can't actually have fellowship with Jesus because Jesus is the light and he lives in the light. And so we've lived and created a society that says sex is something that you need to keep hidden, you need to keep secret, and it just needs to get stuck in there. And we said things like modesty is the best policy and, and, and all of these other things. And I'm all for modesty. I think we need to take value in and of ourselves. But but for years, the church has shamed women into thinking that it's the way they dress why men have lust problems. That has nothing to do with that. Those two things don't. You can't, you can't put that on young ladies, that it's guys who can't control their thoughts. It's the dudes who got some problems. Right? Like God doesn't have... That's not the way of the Bible. It's not what God, yes, we do need to be cautious. Yes, we do need to have respect. Yes, we do want to honor God. And we're going to get to all of those in just a minute. But my point is this, that the church has created more misconceptions than it's created freedom. And we've created more problems and hurdles to people. And so people look at the church and the teachings of the church and like, I don't think I can do, I mean, yes, I love God. I love that he saved me, that he healed me. But like their understanding of like human intimacy, is this is, I, nope. Not for me. And heaven forbid you ever got a divorce or you had a child before you were married because the church just like ostracized you. And it was mishandled and it was wrong. And it's created these, these problems. Here's the deal. I believe that the God of the Bible is the God who wants to speak life into these areas of our lives. I believe that the Bible actually offers us some insights and some answers to these problems because we know sex isn't just an appetite. We know sex can't be God and we can't treat it like it's a God and we know it's not bad. So what's the deal? What is God's view on it? What does God actually have to say about it? Here's what I want you to understand that God gave us sex for our pleasure. God gave it to us. It is a gift from God. And all God's people said, amen. God created man and he created woman and he says, oh, this is very good. He was the one who put the pleasure points on your human body on purpose. He was the one who invented the big O for which everybody should automatically repent and say, he's worthy to be praised. <laughs> Jesus, he's worthy. It is a gift from God. God created sex to bring us pleasure so that we would have life, and that pleasure always points back to who God is as a good God. And it is indeed meant for our, 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 our pleasure. There, for, for a while, the church said that the only reason God gave us sex is to create babies. Babies were just a byproduct. They weren't the bylaw. Like the only time you're supposed to be intimate is when you need a baby and you need more people to work on the ranch. That's the only time, right? You need a baby, that's it. No, that's just a byproduct, but he created it to bring pleasure into our lives and it's something that's to be enjoyed. So if God gave it to us as a gift, if sex is a gift from God, what's the problem? 
Why can't we just enjoy it? Why can't we just say it's a gift from God and let's put it in the context that we want to that means the most to us, that gives us the right orientation to it? And Yes, well, we can't quite do that. Here's why. Because that gift has fallen prey to the brokenness of sin. While it was a beautiful gift created by God for you and for me, it also has been stained by sin. It's been stained by sin. It's why, that's why for many of us, we thought sex was just something that was autonomous. It's just something for us, but we've come to find out that sex actually affects our soul. And that's why when you found out that the person that you've been dating and you love, you, you found out their checkered past and you're like, I don't know if I can get past that. Why? Because every intimate in interaction has created a, a tie with your soul. That's why victims who have been molested and raped have such an emotional time getting past that trauma because it wasn't just an appetite. It wasn't something in that moment that they felt was, oh, this, is, this must be God, this is great. See, for many people, what God intended to be your greatest source of pleasure has been your greatest source of pain. And that's a problem. That's a problem for God. And that's a problem for many of you. See, what was meant to, to be the greatest gift of pleasure has somehow been stained by sin in somebody else's life or in your life or in society as a whole. And we're left with this place where it has stained us and we have now felt the pain of this gift being abused. I think it's for this reason that the Apostle Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. See, I think Paul knew that it was a gift from God, but he was writing to first century Greek Christians that he was writing to a group of people who were in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a pretty wild place. I mean, it was like Las Vegas on steroids. It was, it was a pretty intense place. See, see, Corinth was a spot where they had a view about themselves that said our bodies, uh, what we do with our bodies doesn't really matter as long as our soul or our heart that's taken care of. In other words, they looked at them as, as separate entities that what you do with your body isn't a big deal because your soul is separate altogether. And, and they had given their lives to Jesus, these early Christians, and they had been given, given it over to God, but yet, but yet they, were, they were still doing and living the same way. And they were having sex in the temple and hiring prostitutes and uh, choosing whatever orientation they wanted to live by and self-identifying themselves under with certain genders and roles and all these other things. And and it was, it was a bit of a thing. And, and, and Paul was writing and says, listen, 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 listen. That's not the case. That's not the case. You've given your life to Jesus. So let me, let me point you in a direction. See, because you, what you think isn't mattering. What you think is just a commodity. Your body isn't just a commodity that you can do with as you want. And it has no bearing on your soul. And that's what he's writing. And so we pick up the conversation because they had asked him some questions because they weren't sure. They were just doing what they needed to do. They were living life how they lived it. They were living based on their culture. And, and many of you today, whether you're a believer or not, you, you, you follow God or not, you know that like, like today, I want you to understand something that this isn't about shaming anybody because many of us, we, we've been, we're just living the life that we've known to live. 
I mean, how, how are you to know that it's not an appetite? How are you to know that it wasn't this? How are you to know that it wasn't bad? How are you to know any of these things? Because we're just going with what we've been told. But yet we recognize that there's pain involved and we're not sure about it. And I think Paul has some answers for you and for me. He goes, starts in verse 12 and he says this, I, he says, he's quoting them, he says, I have the right to do anything you say. And, and they were right. And you're right. You have the right to do anything. One version says all things are permissible and, and they kind of are. In other words, you can do whatever you want with your sexuality. You really can. Like God's not gonna stop you. He's not gonna put a halt on it. He's not gonna turn his back on you. Like you, you can do what you want. It's true. But he goes on to say, but not everything is beneficial. It's true, you can, but should you? I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, he was saying, you say that the idea of freedom is to live however you want, but you're finding that when you're living without limits, you're finding yourself eventually enslaved by something. Because they had this view. This view was the same that many of us have heard, that it's just an appetite. He goes on to say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, in other words, they were saying, hey, listen, food is good for me. It's good for my stomach, and my stomach is going to go away. Food's going to go away. So what does it matter? It's not going to last. So what does it matter what I do right now? It doesn't matter. It's just sex. The problem is, much like our appetite, if we use no restraint, it eventually enslaves us. Right? Think of it literally like food. If you use no restraint when it comes to food, you will be slave to the food. If you use no restraint when it comes to anything, it will eventually enslave you. When you use no restraint thinking that it doesn't affect your body or your soul, it's just sex and it's a commodity that you can do what you want, you will eventually be enslaved by that. See, because sex is not just a commodity. And Paul gives us the answer. He says this, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In other words, he's saying this, sex and sexuality, it's sacred. It's not just a commodity. No, 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 no. It's sacred. It's a gift from God, and it's sacred. It's sacred. It's sacred, it's holy, it's right. And when done in the right, in the context that God designed it, it is indeed wonderful. It's honoring to God. But, but what happens is sometimes the things that we don't treat as sacred become our greatest secrets. They become our greatest secrets. We don't want anybody to know about it. We don't want anybody to know about what we looked at. We don't want anybody to know about what we think. We don't want anybody to know that our marriage, it's not working well and we're not satisfied. And we don't want anybody to know those things. We don't want anybody to know that we're living together and we're not married. We don't want anybody to know these things. Why? Because we haven't treated it as sacred and so now it's become our greatest secret. But sex indeed is a gift. It isn't a commodity, but it is sacred. 
He goes on to say, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. In other words, anything that's been destroyed or deadened in your life, God has the ability to bring restoration to you. The pain that you feel, God has a way to restore that pain. The frustration that you felt, the brokenness that you felt, God has a way to restore that. He's not gonna leave you there. He will actually come and interact and help bring restoration to your greatest pain. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall then I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never, never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? And I know you're sitting there thinking, you're like, ah, never been with a prostitute. This doesn't apply to me. See, even in the early 20s, prostitution was, uh, was, was really, really high. But over time, from the 1930s and the 1940s, the, the use of prostitution has gone down, and so has the, but, but at the same time, the price has gone up. Why, why the change? Because fewer and fewer people have need, quote unquote, for a prostitute. Why? Because they're getting it for free. They're, they don't have to pay for it. They're getting it for free. And that's some research that's been done and studies that have been done that shown that, that change and that flip. Why? Because because we're not treating it as sacred, it's just kind of whatever, and here it is, and it's our body, we can do what we want, and, and Paul's writing and says, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not just your body, it's not just a commodity, it's not just this, it's not just that, it's actually important, and how you live with it and what you do with your body matters, and it has effect on your soul, has effect on your emotions, it has effect on your well-being, it has effect on your spirit, it matters. It matters. Why? Because sex outside the context that it was designed never reaches its full potential. Sex outside of the context. How, how is sex sacred? Well, it's sacred between one man and one woman in the covenant, covenant commitment of marriage. That's where it's the most sacred. That's, where it, that's the context that it needs to be placed. And that's the context God designed it to be in. And anything outside of that violates the sacredness of it. And that's what Paul was addressing. You can't just unite and do whatever whenever. It matters to you and it matters to God. So, so, so what do we do? Where does this leave us? If, if it's sacred, and, but yet we've got so much pain, what, what do we do? Well, I want to leave you with this last thought. So we come to a close. First Corinthians chapter six. This is what Paul suggests. This is what we do. So, so here's, here, here's what it means for you and me. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say flee from all sex. He's not saying it's bad. Don't do it. No, that's not what he said. He said flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own, their own body. There's a, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. Anything outside the covenant bounds of marriage, anything outside that covenant commitment, anything outside that context, it cannot flourish. It cannot be blessed. It won't bring maximum pleasure. It will bring and lead to regret and hurt and pain and frustration. Why? Because it's outside the context that God created for it. And, and whoever does it sins against his own body. Do you not know 
that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, it's not a commodity, it's not separate, it actually is where God himself lives. And you, and in me, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You don't get to identify it. You don't get to create your own identity around your sexuality. No, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What do we do? How do we know? What are we supposed to do? What's the answer to the problem of sex? Here's the answer. You must surrender it. The best sex, the most satisfying is when sex is surrendered. Your sexuality needs to be surrendered. Your body, you just need to surrender to the Lord with it. My identity is not a married, straight man. That's not my identity. No, no, it's not my identity. Your identity is not a a married woman. Your identity isn't a single person. Your identity isn't a gay man. Your identity isn't a lesbian gal. Your identity isn't a confused, am I man or am I woman? Your identity is not wrapped in your sexuality because the minute we wrap our sexuality to become our identity, we open ourselves up to new insecurities. And ultimately, idolatry. At every level, no matter who you are, it's not an appetite. Sex is not God. And sex isn't bad. It's a gift from God that must be surrendered. Must be surrendered. So so my question to you today is, will you surrender your life to him? Will you surrender your own will because you can make any decision that you want. It's true. But not every decision is gonna be beneficial for your life. Will you surrender the regret and the pain that you felt in your life? Will you surrender that to the Lord and let him heal you? Will you surrender the hurt? Will you surrender the offense that you have in your heart towards your spouse? Will you surrender that? Will you surrender it? Because if we'll surrender it to the Lord, he'll bring healing to your heart. God cannot heal. Let me rephrase that. God will not heal what you still hold on to. As long as you're holding on to it as this is my identity, this is who I am, this is my right, this is my this, as long as you're holding on to it like that, God can't heal the pain. it and surrender it to the Lord saying, God, my life is not my own. I was bought at a price. You paid a price for me. You gave it all for me. You wouldn't hold anything back for me. God, I'm just going to hold it in my hand and trust you enough that when it's time for me to enjoy this gift, you'll bring it in my life and it'll be in the right context. But as long as we're controlling our own trying to satisfy our own find ourselves hurt and in pain again and again and again will you stand with me I want to ask that you would 
Bow your heads, close your eyes just for a second. Friends, I know that, um, I know that today this message was different than really many that we would preach. I realize it's a, it's a real sensitive subject matter for many. And I realize that many of you are in a lot of different places in your life. I'm talking to a room full of people. Many are married, many are not. I'm talking to a room full of people who have made a lot of decisions in their life. Some have had children before they were married and some have not. Some have walked through divorce, some have not. Some have dealt with the pain of a cheating spouse, some have not. I recognize that some have grown up in a real constricted environment. Some have been abused. Some have been abandoned. Some are dealing with some of life's greatest pains today. And I get that. But I want you to hear me very, very clearly. You were bought with a price. Jesus paid for you and your life and your love and your healing just like he did for me and just like he did for the person standing next to you. You are not the sum total of your life's pain. You are more than that. You are more precious than that. And God is crazy about you. No matter your varied background, I'm telling you for sure that this is a place that you belong. Some of you are dealing with real serious life things as it relates to your marriage or the person that you're living with or whatever. I just want you to know that I love you and God loves you and this is a place that we're walking in life together. And if you're at a spot where you need healing or you're at a spot where you really are trying to figure out what's next or you're at a spot where you're like, man, I just, I want to do it God's way, but I'm really struggling. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage you. We want you to know that you're loved and that God has a plan for your life. He's a plan for your life. God, today, let I know you're speaking a lot of things to a lot of people. Let it, for some people, this was a breath of fresh air. For other people, it just brought up old pain. For, for some, Lord, we're really wrestling with this reality that, wait, we've been trying to control and make happen on our own for a long time, and it's not really been satisfying. And maybe, just maybe, we're recognizing that the best thing to do is surrender to you. God, I pray here in this moment that we would not hold on to it anymore, but we would choose to release and surrender this idea, this, this sexuality, this gift, that we would surrender it to you. And in the process, we would receive your healing in our lives. God, for those that have been through pain and trauma, God, wrap them with your love today. Let them know that you are for them, you're not against them, that it wasn't something that you did, but it was the result of sin in this world and broken people who make bad decisions. God, I pray that today would begin a healing process for many. And Lord, today would be a day, today would be a day, God, that we would see your life fill us in fresh ways. 
thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.